Brooks should do her American Hannah voice because it's still my favorite thing ever. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Give up your machine. Your machine is bad. Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. Just a reminder, this is a rewatch podcast, which means... We've seen every episode from the beginning to the end, which is actually the beginning, and back again. If you have not done so, please, please, please press stop now. Go back, finish the series, and come and join us on this awesome ride. This is Beep, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by Cece speaking with showrunner Terry Metalis, Christopher Monfett, who wrote the episode we're about to discuss, 407 Daughters, and our very own Hannah, Brooke Williams. Again, we just want to thank them. They are always so kind, so gracious with their time, and we just love speaking with them. And we know you love hearing them, so I will not keep you. Enjoy. Thank you guys for everyone listening. Um, We are recording on April 5th in the middle of an actual pandemic. Um, And (laughs) Beep and I wanted to bring some content to cheer folks up. And everyone from behind the scenes of 12 Monkeys was just so gracious and generous um, to give your time in the middle of all that's going on in the world to kind of keep people company at home. So we just appreciate it so much. We have with us today co-creator and showrunner Terry Metalis, the writer of the episode we're discussing today, Daughters, Christopher Monfett, and our beloved Hannah, Brooke Williams. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Before we were chatting and Chris and Terry, you all just sat down and rewatched this episode. Did you have sort of any initial reactions, um, you know, sort of two years after it aired? I mean, I was really impressed. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but um, I just, that one was a, re- it was a very hard episode to me. And I was, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I was kind of riveted by, I mean, from like the first 10 seconds. I don't know, Chris, what would you think? Well, aside from the fact that it was two years ago, which I think is the most disturbing thing about, uh, about mm-hmm. it is, uh, no, I mean, I, I think the thing that kind of jumped out at me the most is, you know, aside from, um, the terrific performances in the episode was just sort of how well it's edited and constructed. I mean, the, the the montages and the dueling voiceovers, which like you try it on the page and you hope that it's gonna it's gonna be effective and it's gonna work, like really work beautifully. And I think it was Drew who cut this. I don't quite remember, but I think he did a really terrific job. I mean, the whole thing comes together beautifully, and Stephen scores it just out of the park. Yeah, I forget if it was Drew or Chris, but. It was, um, or or maybe Drew took over from Chris, but yeah, I, I it was. I remember the first cut was like twenty minutes. Yeah, um, there's a just, lot just out didn't, of it, and didn't have that same drive. Yeah, um, and it and the opening was almost exclusively Emma um, was all about her life, and I remember in the first cut, uh, you just didn't care until you saw. And so we brought, brought in Hannah, you know, it was like, it was interesting. You're like, Oh, that's cool. But then you bring in Hannah who you hadn't seen in an episode and you're like, Oh, right. She went back in time. And then we told her story from her point of views and the dueling point of views. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, it came out. We also had an extraordinary amount of time to post this season. So we really crafted it. But I remember we went back and got more voiceover from Brooke and um, Emma and, uh, but yeah, I was, I don't know. I, 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 I dug it. Yeah, it is really the structure so elegant, you know, that you have these, I mean, it's an episode essentially about four women, two mothers, two daughters, and all the contrasts and also in some ways similarities between them. But Brooke, this is the, really the first episode where we get to spend so much time alone with Hannah. And, you know, she's got sort of two missions that her mother's given her. And the first one is to figure out how to live a life. And, you know, when we first met, when we first met Hannah, she was like this post-apocalyptic like warrior. And then all of a sudden you had to portray what would it be like to be dropped in our world. And in some ways it reminds me a little bit of Cole in the pilot. How did you approach that sort of fish out of water 
performance for this episode? I mean, honestly, that's kind of my life. Like I'm quite <laughs> alien. So like it wasn't a massive stretch, but also like, you know, I understand displacement. Like I, I'm from New Zealand. I'm from a relatively small city, even coming to LA. And the first time I went to New York, I, I mean, I was 15 and it was wild. I, I couldn't believe it. And it was, everything was loud and just the sensory experience was crazy. And so, yeah, it wasn't that big of a stretch. And, um, I guess I'd been in Hannah's life for so long at that point that I'd sort of become accustomed to that world. So just the idea of having to connect with people outside of the people that she knows so well was, it was easy to imagine how frightening that would be. Uh, and then the writers had, well, Terry had given me some beautiful letters that the writers, I think, or maybe some of the assistants had written uh, about Hannah in New York and that experience, sort of almost like constructed like journal entries. I think they were, in fact. And just some beautiful details about like her watching the Thanksgiving parade in New York and what that would be like. And I mean, I didn't even know there was a Thanksgiving parade in New York because <laughs> I'm from New Zealand and Thanksgiving, you know, really did not mean a thing to me at that point. I didn't understand anything about really what it was so I guess my ignorance was kind of helpful <laughs> in that way but yeah so I was fed a lot by um, the writers and just by the story of Hannah's life up to that point and my own displacement in this country I guess. Yeah was was there any footage that we didn't see or earlier drafts or just sort of discussions uh, between you all about what Hannah was doing during these two years because she's got a friend that she's dishing with on the phone about give me the dirt on your date with Brian so initially if this was a 13 episode order or even if we had more you would have spent a lot of time I mean, th this is a storyline you would have spent like two or three episodes yeah. with her back at Jeff getting getting there. And we had a lot of talk. I think on the Blu-ray, there's some extended scenes with her and Brian, the bartender. Mm -hmm. So you can see those. But yeah, I mean, we had a lot of discussion. I mean, we, we dug deep on what it would be like for a, a woman who was raised in the post-apocalypse to be out in society. And we talked about everything from you know, culture to her sexuality to being a human being. And her voice kind of changes throughout the episode. If you notice, like by the, I think even in the original draft, I think Chris, maybe we, we pushed it even further. Yeah. But she, she sounded like a New Yorker and by, by the end and, and had, uh, and loosened up and, you know, was saying things like awesome stuff that like Hannah would never say. And I, you know, it was, so there, there was quite a bit we wanted to do. Uh, that we didn't get a chance because of the real estate of telling the, um, the the last chapter of the of the saga. Yeah, and even even if this had just been, say, a cable show where you had the luxury of going to fifty five minutes to a cut, you know, you could have played around with that more. And I think certainly there were pages generated that did that. But I I think ultimately to to Terry's point earlier where we got to was a pretty extraordinarily well-balanced place where you you would at the very least get the idea of her trajectory and her changing voice, her changing view of the world in a fairly economic amount of scenes. And like you said, on the Blu-ray, there are a couple more beats with her and, and Brian just sort of talking more colloquially in the world together. But um, I feel like what, what ended up on screen was uh, really nicely constructed. I mean, just the fact yeah, that she we, was we, using a cell phone at all was, you know, kind of gave yeah. us a look into how much she's changed. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had spent more time with her and Brian yeah. and her meeting people in the Emerson Hotel. Again, it's one of those things where it's funny because when I watched this episode, I was I thought it beat it, which it all worked and was was breathtaking, actually. It was one of those things where I remember there was an exec who said to me over at Universal, and I didn't necessarily agree with him, but that 12 Monkeys works best at 43 because it packs it in and you kind of, it's sort of breathless and mm -hmm. that adds to the, the style and the feeling of the show, which I, I think I agree with. But um, you watch something like Tales from the Loop, uh, which Chris and I just watched, and or it any any streaming cable show and sometimes i'm deeply envious of here's 57 minutes do whatever you like 
You wanna you wanna just have the camera on an on an apple sitting on a table in a sunbeam for ten, eleven seconds? Have at it. Whereas opposed to this show, we were like, fuck the apple. Well, quick, just get to the line. In fact, pre-lap the line on top of the other person's line because we gotta get this thing finished because we have commercial break. But uh, you know, I I, I I but but yes, there's there's a lot more we wanted to do with Hannah. Brooke, what did you what did you want to do with Hannah that we never did? I know, I guess it just would have been it out so that we could have got some more of the nuance of the Brian story. But I, I find it interesting that nature nurture question in regards to this because what happens, you know, in that episode with the bar fight and stuff, I just feel like that was always going to happen, whether it was then or a week later or because Hannah just is who she is and like. Yeah, I think she's doing the makeup thing and the pretty little dress and the hey babe, how was your date? And I think she's enjoying experiencing that. But like there's so many versions of a modern girl in New York and that's sort of one that she's playing with. But it would have been cool if we had have had time, I don't know, if it was an indie film or something to really explore that transformation in terms of her exploring different identities. Because there is a version of modern New York girl that's very cool, edgy, closer to what Hannah really is and knows. And I think the version that she was trying, the sort of like cute girl, got my friends, we call each other babe, I do my makeup, put lip gloss on, (laughs) is so far from who she is that she probably needed to go that far to separate herself. But then it's so hard not to come back to the nature of, of who you are. So I think if I had have had my, you know, ideal, if we had a million hours, it would have been to just explore her trying on different masks and finding what fit. Yeah, maybe Hannah was like down on the Lower East Side in the indie rock scene then. I could have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> her sure clothes would have fit in. I mean, one of the things I noticed just with your performance is uh, we begin the episode and she seems a bit dazed to observing, but not participating in the world, right? She's sitting in the lobby of the Emerson Hotel. She's watching what I thought was beautifully written, how distracted we all are from the now, from the present by our devices and everything to then, you know, Brooke, as you said, sort of trying on that role of smiling at herself in the mirror and putting on the lipstick. But then when we see the Hannah in sort of like it flips, um, like flipping a switch. And we see the kind of violence that we have grown accustomed to in the in 2043 or 2044, but we see her do it in our world. It's shocking. You know, when she takes that jagged bottle and stabs it into someone's chest, we're used to yeah. seeing that with the daughters, but it is shocking in the bar of the Emerson Hotel. Yeah. When I first saw the cut of that scene, and I, I mean, I was there on the day that we did it, and for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't occur to me until we we cut the scene together. But I just flashed on Will Ferrell and Anchorman being like, "That escalated quickly. Like, <laughs> you, you, just, you just killed a guy with a trident. It, it's such a brutal scene, but it 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 she plays the switch flipping so nicely that you sort of you are reminded that for all of her." efforts to blend in who's who she is is who she is and she's never she's never not been that and so i think uh i think i think that scene is 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 pretty nicely jarring yeah brooke did you do you have any previous you know martial arts or fighting experience before doing 12 monkeys or did you learn sort of all of that choreography for this show um i had none absolutely none <laughs> and was quite intimidated by it but i have to say like it's really not my performance. I mean, some of it is, but um, we had incredible stunt performers. And um, a girl, Jen Murray, I think is her last name, was my stunt double and also was Cassie's stunt double a lot. And she was just incredible. Like, not only so patient was teaching me, and Jeff Shovel was so patient as well. He's, he did a lot of cold stunts. I think that's how you say it. But, um, yeah, so we had a lot of support. And, like, you see cut-ins of me, and we would always shoot the whole fights with the actors. But if you see anything looking really freaking slick, it's probably (laughs) Jen because she's just an incredible artist. And I was always amazed by how she could – she just took on the physical gait of the actors. Like, 
not even the characters, like the actors. Like when she was um, stunting for Hannah, she was walking around with my body language. And when she was stunting for Amanda, she was walking around with Amanda's. And they're very different. Like Amanda's been a prima ballerina. I'm like some just weirdo normal person in the world. Like my, I hold myself physically very differently from Amanda and Jen just had that nuance. So yeah, she's brilliant and so talented. And I did learn a lot, but um, it's never been something that's been supernatural to me. So um, since then, I've had to do quite a lot of that stuff. I went and did a little part on another show that was like heavily, there was a lot of fighting as well. So it's just become kind of my thing, um, which is exciting. And it was a cool opportunity, but it was definitely not something I was natural natural at. It's worth just piggybacking off of that quickly while we have the chance to to praise people that like, Anybody who thinks that that these stunt performers aren't giving a performance is is just insane. I mean, the level of commitment and study and and beyond just physical sacrifice, but the the, the care with which Jen and Jeff, you know, studied these characters and, and their physicalities and, and actually knew the scripts and motivations and context that we've seen was fantastic. And they always did such a terrific job. Yeah, but let's not gloss over the physical <laughs> because uh, I remember there was there was a moment where Jeff got kicked in the chest in the um the auction episode. He was doubling I think he was either doubling for Cole or he was doubling for one of the villains. And uh he got kicked in the chest and he went through like a he was supposed to fall into some boxes, but the 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 kick landed wrong and just knocked the wind out of him. And I remember you know, you're lucky to go four season and have it and like that. But he was like, he was down for about a minute yeah. and a half. And that was the moment I was like, yeah, this could go oh so wrong. And this is what these guys do. And he got up. I mean, Jeff was always like, I'm good. I'm good. In fact, a lo- most stunt people, no matter how gravely injured they are, will get up and be like, I'm okay. I don't know if it's the culture or... I don't know what it is about them that makes them just try and walk this off. But it's, wow. I mean, to give yourself to that was, was, was so anyway, it was very scary. Yeah. Well, it, it all looks incredible. And, um, it, it, uh, it was just really, it is a really interesting moment when you, as a viewer, when you're so used to seeing that violence in another context and then you see it in your own and it kind of, you know, it's, it's scary how sort of powerful oh, Hannah can be with her body. Um, I want to just go back to Brooke, the, the nurture versus nature question, because it's something that, you know, obviously the show explored a lot in season three, but it's really interesting the way you pairs of mothers and daughters in this episode, you know, the one mother that wants to end time and her daughter is a tool versus the other mother who is is messing with time to save her daughter and all of the choices they make and how that then shapes their daughter's lives in turn. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. So when you all were thinking about spending the time uh, for a whole episode, explore these four women and all of the connection, what were you trying to convey or explore with that? I guess it's just the contrast is what makes this really interesting that like there's ego and there's love. And with Jones and Hannah, I, I mean, my theory on it is that everything's motivated by love. And of course, of course, ego bleeds into that at certain points. But like, even with that bar fight, I think she's, she's protecting someone who she has very strong feelings for. And, you know, love can come out in very strange ways in the world. And especially if you are <laughs> living in a different world to, to what you're used to. So, um, ego power, versus love and where they bleed into each other I think is interesting for both four characters and and those two mother-daughter dynamics. I think it's pretty much exactly as sort of Brooke as Brooke just said. I mean I think it's this is one of the, this is just sort of one of those episodes where it's it's just defining that that contrast between the two characters is so vital and yet building that similarity as you go on as you realize that both of these are characters who came from a place uh, who came from one place in one condition, having constantly thought about, you know, what will, what would Titan be like? What would, uh, you know, what would the past uh, with people in it and alive with activity and possibility look like? And then when they finally get there, finding that they're more suited to the nature of the world that they came from. And I think that that, 
um, that similarity ultimately bonds them. And it's certainly later in one minute more, you'll you see the payoff of that. But, um, you know, I think uh, it, it, it was, that was the challenge in the writing of making these two fundamentally very different people going through the same universal experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it also is such one of the contrasts, just picking up on what Brooke said is, you know, the presence or the absence of love. Because mm-hmm. even if, you know, even when Hannah wasn't with Jones, she was with the daughters, she was with old Jennifer, you know, she had a, a family in one form earlier in her life. And then you have sort of the found family and finding her real mother, as opposed to Emma tragically being put in another box, just like her mother was put in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you come to that moment where it could not become more clear as she's watching Jones be at least mentally tortured, watching Hannah die over and over again, that that the contrast kind of comes to a head and reveal, you know, crystallizes it for Emma. Um, it seems like the real turning point for her. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is, it's an interesting exploration of sort of love that, that nurture part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And what it does, although Emma, I I have to say, like, Emma, man, she comes out of it at least trying to make a choice um, and trying to go down a different path, which is, you know, given her her upbringing is is quite something. And I think that a lot of that is a testament to to Abigail's performance. Uh, You know, she and and not the thing with that character, the thing with Emma is you had so little time when you really go back and you and you count up all the screen time that that character has she's so monumentally important to the trajectory of the of the the story and yet you know you only get precious little time with her and so the 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 actor in that role has to be able to carry so much not just not just in terms of the performance but the physicality there's something about you know abigail when you look at her um that 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 is so expressive um, and that that carries a lot of the weight. And so even just in the casting, uh, you know, nailing who got that part um, and, and knowing how much the totality of the performance ultimately has to carry so much water and so little time, we were, I think, really blessed to have her. Um, and then, you know, and I, and I think for these final episodes, there was a real friendship and relationship just on set that, that I got to see, blossom between Brooke and Abigail that that informed a lot of this as well. I mean, even if they weren't sharing scenes together, informed their performances and their their sense of not just difference, but similarity between the two characters as eventually they meet and then move forward into one minute more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brooke, did you, I imagine the torture scene must have been, did you really have to film dying like seven times in seven different ways for this episode? Yeah, but it was actually like 18 million times because there's like, <laughs> you know, so much that goes into it. But you know what? Honestly, that's just fun because, you know, we're pretending. Like, it has a lot of weight in the story, but like, obviously, I'm not. I'm not going home going, oh, my God, I died so many times today. Oh. <laughs> it's very it's very physical. Like, I got to explore falling on my side in a myriad of ways, which was, like, gave me some cool bruises and was very <laughs> interesting. But, like, you know, it's fun. It's it's drama. It's, um, yeah, those days are just, it's kind of, and you have a nice camaraderie between the actors. Like, I love Alison so much. And, you know, we'd be laughing between takes and, it it, it it looks very it's very heavy when you're watching it because you know the context of the story and what it means. But when you're filming it, you you can't. I'm not like yeah. It was fun. That's all I've got to say. Really, it was, it was <laughs> you didn't was you didn't take it on. Is what you're saying? You didn't take it on. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Right. because some Maybe. actors totally can and will take that home. I mean, you do take some stuff on. Like I I, I take stuff on if I'm in an intense drama scene. But, you know, when it stunts and you're coming in and it's like now you're dying 80 million ways, she's going to snap your neck this way. It's very technical. And to be safe, you can't you, – you play the emotion of it, but you can't get lost in it because, like, if Alison and I are doing that and we're not stunt performers, if she's pretending to snap my neck and I'm so out of it with my own crying bullshit – 
and and she like snaps, you know, and we do something wrong. It's very technical. So it's different to doing a drama scene where it's something between, I don't know, me and Aaron or, or um, me and Jones or where you might be able to really feel the weight of it. It's just a, it's just another thing. I just remember how delightfully apologetic Allison was every time she would go to snap your neck. She'd be like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean it. Like she was just so sort of <laughs> gentle and tr- and trying to be very nice about being the most evil villain ever. And it was, it was kind of funny. I think it's funny, like as if I might actually think that she does mean it. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a weird thing. It's much harder, I have to say, when you're being the aggressor. It's really hard. I much prefer being the victim because you have so much more responsibility as the aggressor. And emotionally, it's much harder because it's hard to pretend to kill people and hurt people. For me, anyway, it's like even talking about it makes me feel weird. Yeah, that makes sense. What if sort of the wonderful layers to this episode. And uh, Chris, you, we've chatted a little bit with you before, is it is sort of the bookend to Enemy from season right. three. Um, in in so many ways that I feel like you can make a list of 20 things, right? Like now Jones, <laughs> Jones is the willing captive and Olivia is the jailer. Uh, you had Hannah be the one who stopped the torture in Enemy and now she's the tool um, to exploit the weakness. We go back to sort of exploring what both characters' weaknesses are, right? Because we see Olivia back in her box as Jones sort of travels through her mind. Um, But, you know, this is Jones, even though she's in a position on the surface of weakness, turning the tables and doing exactly to Olivia what Olivia did to her in Enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just didn't know if you had any sort of thoughts about it because it's just wonderful flipping all of it on its head. Um, And there's just a lot of great character um, stuff folded into there. No, that was, I mean, it, it, it was just the intentionality of that was really fun to play with. I mean, as we started to break season four and kind of realize that this episode, what this episode was going to be and what it entailed, um, it felt like an obvious kind of fit for me to jump in and, and write it because it just felt like the sequel to Enemy um, in so many fun ways, you know, to get to do a bottle with those two characters, but in such different places again. Um, you know, it's such a it's such a treat, right? Because you get to reverse all of the positions of authority. You get to reverse, um, you know, all the kind of dynamics and roles, and then you get to play with just, you know, whereas uh, Enemy was a lot about physical torture, this becomes a lot about psychological and mental torture. So there were so many ways in which you could complement that episode without making it feel like you were simply repeating that episode. I mean, I think this episode has a lot more kind of almost horror movie texture uh, to it, especially in Olivia invading um, Barbara's mind, Jones's mind, but at the same time sort of maintaining the, the you know, sort of Hannibal Clarice cat and mouse vibe of just two incredible actors and characters circling each other in this kind of a combat arena um, in which they're, they're both uniquely equipped. So, Brooke, I, and this is a little bit bigger picture than than just this episode, but I was thinking about Hannah's journey and the audience's journey with her um, on in the show in that initially Hannah was an idea to us. Um, so in season one, she was a name on a blanket. You know, she's that key piece of the mythology that we learn in season one and two that motivated Jones. And and then you all have to bring that character to life. Um, it's sort of in midstream of the story where the audience has certain expectations or there's kind of this awe around the idea of Hannah. And then you came sort of into the middle of the story. And I was just curious about sort of um, Chris and Terry, what you all were looking for to bring that character to life, given how important she is is it to the mythology, but we will learn along with the characters really, really important um, to the mythology as Cole's mother and sort of what it was like for you, Hannah, to sort of step into that role, knowing sort of, um, am I remembering correctly that you knew before the rest of the cast that you were Cole's mother? I'm not sure if I knew before the rest of the cast, but I knew from when I was cast that that was the idea. But you like, knew before everybody. I, Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. So what you I mean, this is, it's a character that is sort of an idea and then we come to love her and we are, you know, sobbing at the end of one minute more when we lose her. Um, and it's just sort of a, a remarkable journey that she goes on from, you know, sort of post-apocalyptic warrior to mother living in our time, sort of with her son mm -hmm. at a distance. Um, so if you had any big picture thoughts about bringing this character to life and kind of a, it's, it's, it's an interesting and kind of unique character, even amongst the other ones in the show. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say like, as an actor, I was kind of lucky because it's exactly what you were saying. She's so built into the mythology of the story and that love work is already done. Like the writers had done such a gorgeous job of creating an emotional connection for the audience with Hannah before I even showed up. So, like, that was a lot of work that I didn't have to do. So, like, I my perspective on Hannah is I just think that she's so love-based and even when her behaviour is questionable, it, it comes from love. Um, and so, for me, that was just, I just think she cares so much. Um, and that was really my sort of approach to it. Um, and also... You know, you don't want to be too reverent about things. She kind of is naturally a reverent character, like she's come from this strange stoic sort of um, group. And so I didn't want it to be too earnest or anything. And as a person, I am quite earnest, so I do have to watch that a little bit. But I, yeah, I just wanted it to feel not in a sort of tacky, sentimental way, but in a very real way that like Hannah's about love and, um, and so I guess that's all I was sort of really focused on because you can't, you can't play the weight of it. Like you can't go into it going, I'm Cole's mom and I'm going to play that because that's not, that's not what it is, you know, and that's not what it is for Hannah. Um, so we had to be a little careful because I knew that information. We didn't want to hit it too hard. Like Terry, I remember you giving me a note in a scene with Cole at the beginning of season three, not to be too admonishing of him because it was coming, it could, could potentially come across as a bit parental. And because the writers had already done that work for me, I didn't need to hit that. I mean, even beautiful little things like when Hannah says, may I, may I walk with you so you don't walk alone? The audience is not looking through the same lens as me, but because I'm an actress and I know that I'm the mom, if I hit that too hard, I'm like, oh, everyone's going to know. Everyone, I'm going to ruin the puzzle. Um, so it was just finding the balance on those things. And I mean, Hannah's such a beautiful character. I would love to play her for the rest of my life. There's so much nuance and detail that, like, you know, you always think as an actor, if I could go back, I would do this or I would change this. Or, but you can't, and that's kind of the beauty of it because it's a mixture of, like, your personal chemistry, where you're at in your life at the time, what the writers have created. Character is not actor. Character is such a beautiful chemistry or like a potion of the actor's history and story, their creation, what the writers have made, um, the makeup artists, the, how they're costumed. It, it's just this beautiful kind of potion and, and you just hope that it, it works. I will say though, Brooke, that like, you know, for kind of everything you say about, you know, you, you, you come in and the writers have all have done a certain amount of work that you get to, that gets to, that gets to sort of inform your performance, and you get to piggyback on there. That that's a two way street. I mean, I I I I was very blessed, and and remember you and I over the course of season three becoming um, pretty fast friends. And the amount of things that I was able to learn about you and who you are as a as a person, and and how sort of caring and empathetic and loving you are um, and you know that little dark sense of humor that you have like all of that stuff does reincorporate back into the character and make it easier to then write future scenes because you know it, it's always great when when actors can act from an honest place and and to be able to find ways to work into these characters elements of of the person who's portraying them was a real blessing for me as a writer. I got to do that with you and Barbara. And, um, you know, so I, I think in a, in a lot of ways, it's just knowing you as you helped us as writers find who Hannah was and continue and, and to give her more dimensions beyond just sort of, like you said, that abstract notion of whoever, you know, that, that she was presented as in season one and some of season two. 
so that by the time you know you reach an episode like this, there's a lot of you informing this. And I, I think that's 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 really a cool honor to have as writer to get to to know the cast and you know use their virtues in in, the, in terms of the writing of the the characters. That's something that I think was so cool about this show is that you guys, the writers, I mean, were so open to doing that. Um, and it really felt like as actors, we were being listened to um, and like our personalities were being listened to. And I don't know, it's just so exciting when you get to create like that in such a collaborative way. And I think it also comes down to, it's you know, you work on some shows and the showrunner is very far away and it you go in and you do your job but I think it was so cool on the set that it was so everyone was there all the time the writers of the episodes were there and Terry was there and so it felt like you really had a sense of company and I think um it's interesting with casting too that like from my perspective anyway it it felt like the spirit of each actor really was the spirit of the character and that's an interesting thing too like how much of that comes from knowing who you want the character to be and how much comes from being informed by the actor as it goes along. And I just loved it for me personally. Anyway, I felt like I had an an emotional connection to each of those actors that was kind of similar to what Hannah had to those characters. Mm-hmm. Like Chris, you were talking about the thing with um, me and Abby. I love Abby. And, like, I felt very protective of her when she came on to work and not because I needed to protect her in any way, but, you know, she's relatively young and coming over from London and I wanted to be, like, you know, look after her and make sure she felt comfortable and welcome her. And and then with Amanda, I, I have such respect for Amanda and, like, just love her so much. And, and, um, and same with Aaron and, I mean, everyone, like, you know, it's just, I don't know the chemistry of the casting just felt so beautiful to me. There were there were all sorts of little examples of that. I mean I don't I don't know if you recall these two specific things that happened Brooke while we were and I, and I'm not sure in what order they happened but it it, it must have been during or around the filming of this episode um when I don't know if you remember that little speakeasy in Toronto underneath uh underneath the bar and there was that night where Everybody was supposed to get together, but their plans kind of changed. And yeah. it, ended, it, 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 it ended up that, like, you, you called me and you were like, I'm sitting in front of all this food that I ordered and nobody's here. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'm running over from the hotel. And it was like you and I eating this whole smorgasbord and drinking. And it, and, and it was like a really delightful and lovely evening. But it felt like, you know, Hannah at the bar on her own. Uh, in you know in oh the in, in the twenty first century, and then like it a week so later, sad. and then like a week later, you you know it was you and me and and Abigail, you know what I mean? Like that that yeah. relationship kind of weirdly formed in the order in which it formed in the episode, and so there are always like those little <laughs> yeah. moments that reflected at, on a personal level what was going on with the characters, and I was <laughs> I was just really. I, I found it a, a real, a real privilege and an honor to get to know you and Abby the way I did during this episode, and and try as much as I could to incorporate those elements of yourself into the into the writing. I've always felt so grateful, um, Chris, that you did turn up that night. I feel like I've never like fully acknowledged that because it was so kind of you. Because <laughs> I am such a Hannah, but without like the cool badass stuff. But like I was like, I'm going to organize this thing for the group, and it's going to be so lovely and. And um, I'm going to, you know, help everyone get together and, like, do this nice thing. And then one by one, everyone dropped out. And I'd already ordered all this food. And then Chris texted and was like, oh, who's all there or whatever. Or I called you, I can't remember. And um, and I was like, oh, actually, no one's coming. Because I think you were about to potentially drop out because you had a lot of work. Like, I, oh no, I'll <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I was in the middle of doing a rewrite on the episode, and you texted me. You're like, nobody's here, and I'm sitting in front of all this food, and I was like, putting on my shoes now. I'm mean, like, and I like, ran across the park because I was just like, screw it, I'll I'll write I'll write tonight. And that was well, a funny. Thank night. you. 
Um, I just wanted to, it's interesting as you talk sort of about Hannah's relationship with different characters, because, you know, particularly when you go back and rewatch those scenes between Hannah and Cole that are both at the beginning of season three and, and the beginning of season four, it is, I mean, never occurred. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for B, but I know it never occurred to me that she was his mother. And yet the way you play it, played it, she's kind of inexplicably drawn to him. You know, like mm-hmm. if he's upset, she notices that he's upset. If he's just the way that there is that sort of earnestness and that love, even if we as the audience don't, and, and Hannah doesn't realize why, um, it's really beautiful to go back and re and rewatch. Um, it kind of just makes your heart hurt in a really good way. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, but I did want to ask you about Hannah and Jones, um, because obviously it's such a seminal relationship in the show, but it begins quite, it's a rocky start. Um, She hates her mother's machine. um, And she heard these stories of her mother as sort of this um, kind of Frankenstein and by the end of the show, when you when you think about sort of the journey that this mother and daughter go on to when they're sitting together at the end of One Minute More, and she has watched not only in, in, in a way that could only happen on a time travel show, right? She has observed Jones with the younger version of herself and has gone through the experience. But, but then there's sort of the everyday that you come to understand your parents when you have children. And, and the love that one has for their child and how that can motivate them to do things. And so it's just really, it's, it's, a, it's a ride between Jones and Hannah. And I, I didn't know if you had sort of any thoughts about that, the relationship between those two characters and acting with Barbara. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just like, I have to say again, it's the writers doing that work. And, and like working with Barbara was the biggest trick. She's, I mean, obviously she's, such a brilliant actress I don't really need to go into that we all know that but like she is also just the coolest human and the most beautiful interesting human and she's funny and I just I don't know it's I guess it comes back to what I was saying before you I had a relationship with Barbara where I I did I had so much respect for her and like at first I was like oh she's Barbara you know and she's so incredible and then you get to know someone and we have a lovely chemistry together from my perspective anyway um I just respected her so much and her talent so much and it was just such a privilege to be able to work with her and um so it all felt natural it didn't feel like we really had to chart anything or play. and that comes down to the writing too when it's done in the writing you you just have the absolute treat of like relying on your natural chemistry and, and being present with someone in the moment um, but yeah, the relationship was really cool and a joy to to get to explore. Chris or Terry, did you have sort of any thoughts on sort of the dynamic that you first set up um, of not really understanding one another? And, you know, they're really, especially for, in some ways, it's almost like they've been an idea to one another. And then you're in that room with that person and you may not like who they are or the choices they've made and sort of the journey you take those two characters on by the time we get to the end of One Minute More. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always a little tricky because we had just introduced Hannah and then like the first episode where she actually speaks, she doesn't really speak kindly to her mother. And I think it's risky, right? Because you just introduced this character how do you know will will the audience suddenly hate her? You know, and I think I remember during the live tweeting there were people like, "God, she's such a bitch. Why is she such a bitch to her mother?" <laughs> Which is the same shit we got for when Cassie was mad at Cole, who spent season one mansplaining his way through um, this the 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 uh, the potential apocalypse and what Cassie needed to do, and then you know leading to her fiance being burned to death. And then Cole sparing Ramsey's life, and that no one could understand why Cassie was upset at him. So it's it's tricky, right? Because we sit around as the writers, and we were like, "This is the right choice. We want conflict. We want to earn this rela- relationship." But you can't get away from the basics of just audience reactions to 
uh, a character. So I think if you're a mega hit, um, you have more comfort in that zone to just do what you want to do. We did it anyway, though. <laughs> um, but um, uh, but you know, I, I don't. I I watch it, and it, to me, it all makes perfect sense for those for those characters. But um, I it and to me, it made made the journey more satisfying. It's like, yeah, eventually. And, and by the end of that season, right, she calls her mother for the first time right before the anomalies come in and vaporize Jones. Um, so I don't know. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the decisions story-wise and character-wise were all the right decisions, but it posed us a certain challenge, right, that we have to then mitigate and write around and try to overcome. And I, the first time I think I, I remember really being truly exposed to the challenge of their relationship was in, in enemy, right. Which is the scene where Brooke, I think so beautifully gives that monologue about, um, you know, the, the, the doctor and her smokestack building. Um, and you're, you're trying to sit there and go, okay, how do I make this woman say that her mother was a monster, but like in the nicest way, like, like, like <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you have her, point out that she thought her mother was a horrible Hitler-esque human being, but make it a sweet scene that the audience is going to cry at. And so there, there was a lot of challenges as, a, as writers sitting down to say, okay, we've made this choice. It's the right choice. How do, we, how do we address this dynamic, but mitigate that so that you constantly understand where each person is coming from and you're not just, it, do, it, it doesn't just seem like antagonism for the sake of antagonism and then so that you can you can constantly be moving it forward in a way where even if the scene is conflicted even if brooke uh or or hannah is calling her mother out uh on something you know it, it's constructed in a way where where you're not necessarily losing anything from that character that the audience might go i wish they were in a better place but i understand that point of view or this is conflict that will will ultimately serve a, a better coming together down the road. Yeah. I wanted to pick up, Brooke, on something that Terry said, just sort of about audience reaction to women. When I watched Daughters originally, I paused it halfway through and turned to my husband and I said, I was like, oh my God, this entire episode is basically just about women. Like in <laughs> kind of shock because you don't get, at least I feel like we don't get to see that a lot. So many complex um, and different women, and particularly in this episode, really driving the emotional conflict, the plot, all of it. Um, and it's something we've asked all of your female colleagues on the show, uh, sort of this experience for you as a woman actor, you know, sort of working today, if it was, you know, a unique experience as, as a unique experience for you, as it was for the audience watching. Um, yeah, it's so interesting, this idea of strong female character. Mm -hmm. And I read this cool piece recently by Britt Marling, where she was really investigating mm -hmm. what that is and what she sort of came to. And it was like, I don't want to play a character, a strong female character, if it just means that I'm playing a male character in the body of a woman, a woman that men want to fuck. And I was like, oh my God, that's what it is. Because so often that is the idea of a strong female character. You just like on the page, it could be a dude and then you scribble it out and put a female name and cast some like, I don't know, hot young thing. And it's like suddenly oh, she's such a strong female character. Well done, everybody. You get the good boy award. Um, but the thing I like about this show and I loved and appreciated about Hannah is it really didn't feel like that. She has a duality and a complexity to her. She has that kind of ethereal quality. She's grown up with this particular mythology and in this sisterhood and, and she's grown up sort of in nature. And so there is a a softness to her as well as the toughness um she she can be a lot of things and she is a lot of things and I felt like that was really respected um so so I felt like I was being a person and a very complex intelligent interesting person not like I was playing an archetype of like oh I'm gonna put on some um leather clothes and fight some people and 
I'm going to be a tough, like strong female character. <laughs> and I think um, that that stands for all the female characters in the show. They were allowed their own voice and that was respected and listened to. Um, and and there was complexity in all of them and, and, uh, and, and detail and nuance. And again, that's a testament to the writing. Yeah, I did. That was a great, that Brit Marling piece was in the New York Times and I couldn't help but think about the show as, as an it's exception. It's so good, huh? I just love yeah. her. I think she's so brilliant. It was such a great way of articulating something that's bothered me for a long time. And, you know, it's so contentious because it, it is a big thing. It's like this strong female character and people applauding each other for creating these strong female characters. And then you watch something and then you know, so often there's an uncomfortable tension in my stomach and I haven't been able to identify what it is because I'm like, well, I guess she's strong. She's fighting all the people. She's got a gun. But just something feels off. And um, and so it was so good to read that and go, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. I don't want to see these pretend strong female characters. I don't want to see this token shit. It's boring and it's offensive. And, and it was so great to sort of be able to identify that in such a clear way. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's what 12 Monkeys does so brilliantly. And it made me think of the show immediately too for that reason. Yeah, I mean, because particularly in this episode, we see all kinds of different "quote unquote" strength. Um, because you have, you know, obviously Olivia's physically strong. Hannah can take down, you know, two men in fifteen seconds. But you have sort of a strength of um, kind of inner bravery from Emma to to walk away and and say, "I'm going to make my own choice." You have Jones have sort of the strength of her mind, um, you know, dueling with Olivia like intellectually. And so there's mm-hmm. just you know this episode in particular is just a wonderful example because it is there are so many female characters, but they are all so different and exhibiting strength in such different ways. Mm-hmm. So Terry and Cress. This is obviously plot-wise, mythology-wise, a very important episode with old Jennifer and Deacon and having nosebleeds and we're getting glimpses of what we now know is going to go down in Demons and in the finale. And the question people had was, number one, what specifically changed if it's just Deacon? And and I know that you guys, maybe it's just like Deacon handing the knife, but I think what the questions we're getting at is, was there another version of this loop where our heroes failed and died? And how does that, how does that not mean that Olivia then, you know, succeeded and pulled the trigger on the red forest? I'm I'm not sure if I articulated that well. Does that, does that question make sense? you, You did. Um, I think it's more of a question for Katarina Jones if you can get her on the on the on the line or or <laughs> Elliot Jones. The way I always looked at it was it is a loop, and within that loop there are other little loops. For instance, Cassie dying in season one, yet that didn't undo the whole thing uh, because Cole was still a component. Um, so yes, I think there are other versions. What specifically happened in those other versions? Uh, um, you know. If we can get the writing staff back, we can tell you. Um, <laughs> we 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 filled we filled so many countless hours working out the time travel um, uh, on this, knowing and and working out uh, Cole as the gin as a single component, um, but knowing that there were alternate loops that happened within the giant loop within you know the Ouroboros, if you will. I think that's. Right. And I mean, look, I think, you know, we, we, we it was always the struggle between um, and I think it's true with any time travel piece, but also especially with ours. And, and, and I think the gift we gave ourselves was really playing into the the idea of loops and, and the idea that 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 there is no such thing as sort of the clean line. And so I think certainly a lot of these questions are 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 fair questions. And I agree with Terry that that when you when you talk about the idea of sort of a loop made up of other loops, um, it, it, you open yourself up to any number of, of what ifs. And look, I would love to write a thousand one-off episodes or comic books about uh, sort of all of the roads not taken or what this was the first time it went around. But ultimately, I think if you, if you sort of, to Terry's point, if you look at it from, was Cole a part of the DNA of this thing? And as long as that's true, then the main loop remains intact you know, I, I think a, a lot of those what ifs are ultimately answerable. 
even though we never had the time or real estate or, or found, found it necessary to do that. Yeah. Got it. I have a really dumb question that I'm going to cut because it makes me feel dumb. But it's, <laughs> it's a quarantine question. I'm like sitting here the other day going, wait, but what if? How does old Jennifer exist? Because Ramsey went back and like she's had the injection. Like I feel like she shouldn't age. Oh, you mean Jennifer? Why does why does Jennifer look old? Correct. Uh, I, it's not that you don't age. You do age with the injections. I mean, Olivia's older and she's enhanced. And okay, has but old Jennifer looks haggard. Be real. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, lady lived out in the apocalypse for outside <laughs> for. A long time, probably did a whole lot of drugs and different kinds of <laughs> she, was, the red she, was, she was drinking yeah. a lot of that red tea, yeah. Yeah, that's not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Green tea, yes, red tea, no. Like that's <laughs> Yeah, like I was watching Lethal Weapon and Gary Busey was on. I was like, Oh my god, that's Gary Busey and you look at Gary Busey now. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Thirty years. So <laughs> there you go. She Gary Busey. Yeah, okay. That makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Because we'll I mean, yeah, the they age, but like Ramsey basically looked the same, and Olivia, you know, I mean, sure, a little here or there, but yeah. old Jennifer is like a completely different character, looks wise. Well, I don't know though. It's forty. Olivia's also got different genes. It, I don't. I think if Ramsey, if you saw old Ramsey who lived like just, he'd be old too. I don't know. Well, he and went back also- for like thirty years though, right? Which is about the same amount of time from now to old Jennifer. Uh, well, he's also, yeah. He's also, if I remember right, he's got the the, the glove on and the the idea that that a piece of him sort of ages differently, right? Am I am I remembering this correctly? Yeah. No, no, no. Right. No, it's all there. Parts of him age. Somebody says that I think when they go back in time, he's got like brittle bones and certain yeah, he's got old man hands. <laughs> right. So yeah. so how do we not? So maybe old Jennifer just has the face of an old person, but she has the body of like a thirty year old. No. <laughs> You know that, right? Perfect. You know. <laughs> All right. Sorry to derail. I'm totally no. deleting that because I can. <laughs> time, you can keep I, it on. <laughs> Brooke, if you have time, I had sort of one more question because I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk to you again, and we would be remiss if we didn't ask about what is most fans one of their most favorite episodes is is one minute more, and your performance is central to that, and. Uh, we were just curious if you had sort of any thoughts about sort of how Hannah's journey culminates. I mean, obviously the scene at the airport um, and and the reveal of of the time that she spent with Matthew Cole and sort of culminating with that beautiful letter that you read um, about, you know, proud to be a daughter, but proudest to be your mother. And that final scene with the with the Jones family, it is it's a lot emotionally to watch. So we would just love to hear sort of your experiences filming, you know, the end of Hannah's journey. Yeah, um, I, again, it, the writing really did a lot of that work. I think um, suddenly Hannah makes sense to herself is my perspective on it. Like everything that she's been through and, and all the confusion and all the craziness suddenly makes sense. And, and and Cole and I am not I'm not a mother myself, but I I can imagine that changes things so dramatically when you have a child and and I I think it comes down to, to as well what I was talking about before it's love and it's sacrifice and that this crazy wild child feral sweet sad creature has like found her purpose and it unfortunately or fortunately. I mean, it's sad, but it's also noble. And um, I think she's settled in herself. That's what I felt anyway in that episode when I was creating it, you know, creating my performance on it. Like that there's something that's been restless in her and wild that felt tamed is the wrong word, but like settled, like a peace, I suppose, even though it's, you know, it's bittersweet. But um, I wanted to subtly create more of a feeling of groundedness in her. Yeah, that definitely comes across in that scene where you don't realize that Hannah is trying, you know, she's she's talking about Marion Woods, but who she's really talking about is herself, saying she was lost mm. and trapped between two worlds. And now when you go back and watch it, knowing that she knows all that she knows and what she's about mm. to go do, 
it, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Chris and Terry, do you have anything to add? Cause this is, you know, one minute more is such a, I think, I think you all have, have heard now how much it means to audiences, but you know, Hannah is such an important part of that. Mm-hmm. We should all come back for that one. Cause there's we a lot, that. yeah, a lot, lot to say that. I mean, if Brooke is, uh, avails, tech avails, <laughs> we'll um, but the you guys um, are not super busy, don't lie. <laughs> None of us are. can't even make up an excuse at this point. <laughs> Actually, Chris and I, our days are filled right now. I think, I think in, in some ways we'd we'd rather just be quarantining with all of you, but we we're like technically in this writer writer's room right now, um, doing it virtually, and it's challenging to do. Um, anything to add? I mean. I mean, so much to add, uh, I, but I do think before um, we end this podcast, Brooke should do her American Hannah voice because it's still my favorite thing ever. <laughs> mother. mother. <laughs> <laughs> Give up your machine. Your machine is bad. Your is so good. <laughs> There is a really tiny comical moment when when you are not really Hannah, but you are Olivia's projection of Hannah, and you have that like awkward smile, like it's me, but it's not really me, and it is so funny. Like you're like, I so funny. I don't know why I did it like that, honestly, so but great. I think it's funny. It's so I good. I, I was just having a bit too much fun with it. I think. And then when I watched the episode and saw everyone else being her, I was like, oh, they went for subtle. And I really didn't. But it's funny, but it's also kind of a little creepy, you know, so it does, yes. weirdly, it does weirdly serve the scene, you know, like it, it kind of works perfectly. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it's funny, but mildly creepy. That's fine. It does um, obvious cue that it's like this is not right yeah it's Olivia it's Olivia playing with like a Hannah doll and Olivia doesn't know how to emotionally connect that's what I was trying to um do but I think I hit it a little hard um (laughs) perfect perfect moment It's so great. Um, Brooke, well, we would love to have you back for the episode that broke all of our hearts. Um, is Are there any upcoming projects um, that you have that we can look forward to seeing you in? Um, no, just like videos from my living room if you want to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't post stuff like that. So that's not even true. Um, uh, you should, though. No. I know Please. I'm too self-conscious. I'm not cool enough. I'm too. I'm too awkward. I think I we know. all just need to start a show. <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to come back. Thank you so much for including me. It was so lovely. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris and Terry. Thank you for being. No, thank you. This was fun. Yeah. So, do you guys have any before we go? We're all stuck at home. Anything that any of you have watched that you would recommend? because we all have a lot of time to watch things. Go ahead. I watched Netflix. Uh, I watched all of Netflix. <laughs> I, I highly recommend all of Netflix. Uh, uh, whether two shows. Yeah, I think Tara's going to say one that I, uh, I agree with wholeheartedly. Uh, Tales from the Loop on Amazon's pretty amazing. Or at least I saw yep. the first episode. I was very jealous of. And devs were both. I am not caught up, but uh, I've been enjoying that. on. Hulu or FX. What else you got? Oh, Tiger Definitely. King. I mean, guys, Tiger yeah, King. Tiger King is. And I, 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 I will say this, and I, and I've been, I've been saying it to Terry with probably over enthusiasm. I'm, I'm really kind of loving Dispatches from Elsewhere. I feel like it's not getting any recognition or praise, but um, I don't even know what that, it is. It's yeah. that, so it's, it's so it's Jason Siegel's uh, show that he developed. Oh. Uh, Right. Uh, AMC and it's it's kind of like a piece of it's 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 basically about five characters who all get drawn into this piece of interactive theater that they are not quite certain whether it's real or not but it's oh, cool. It, it, Sally Field is in it Jason Siegel's in it um, Andre 2000 is in it uh, it's 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 got this great cast and it's it's kind of delightful 
and whimsical and uh, I, it's enough people aren't talking about it um, because I think it's really clever and fun and emotional and witty and weird and and I'm really digging it and I highly recommend it. Got it. Brooke, how about you? Uh, I'm super into devs at the moment, same as what Terry said. And also my friend gave me a subscription to Masterclass, um, which is pretty amazing. I've only watched two so far. We're talking about it before you guys all jumped on, but um, I've watched the Margaret Atwood introduction to creative writing, which was just so cool, and um, and a makeup one. But I'm really excited for the cooking one because I'm hoping that I might be able to take some of this time to become a better cook. So mm. lots of new skills so, possible. <laughs> guys, you guys want to know something really interesting? Nina yeah. here has met Carol Baskin. Wow. How? Yes. Oh God, I feel like a horrible person. So <laughs> one time, uh, the summer before last, I was down, my parents have a place in near Sarasota and there was red tide. So you couldn't go to the beach. And I have three kids oh. uh, at that time, nine and under. And so my husband and I basically went to every single aquarium or animal park or zoo that you could go to in a week. And we went to the big cat, that the place in Tampa. And it is- oh. I mean, we're just watching. I've only watched the first two episodes. The way the last one ended, I I was like in the fetal position that I can't believe we went to this place that I have pictures of my kids with like the tigers. It's 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 a lot. But wait, how far did you get in Carol Baskin's story? Is it the um, third episode where they reveal the twist? Uh, there's a teasing at the end of this episode about what might have happened oh. to her husband and so yeah they we, reopened that investigation by the way you oh, have to know that okay i haven't watched a single episode and like every single detail is all over the internet i can't get away I from haven't. it i was super resistant to you know, my husband just was like holy shit we were there and so we went back and found all the pictures yeah. and we were like oh my god we saw her give a talk and we but thought how, we were how do you end up there isn't it in, where is it, Georgia? Where Where is it? Like, Tampa. how do you go there? Like, it, it, there's two of them. Yeah, there's Tampa and Sarasota. And so if you are at the beach and can't it's go to the beach. Yeah, we could right. red tide. You can't even walk on the beach because you can't, and like the air makes you cough and makes your eyes sting and little kids can't be on the beach. And so we were just like stuck there for a week. And I mean, we went to like every, my kids love animals. So we went, We I thought it was a place where they rescue, like Fish and Wildlife sends animals there. So it's 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 a quite disturbing and personal journey for us as we watch Tiger King. <laughs> so. I was gonna, I'll say this about Tiger King: if Terry and I went and pitched this story with these characters to any <laughs> studio or network, they would be like, "You're fucking crazy! That's too written. This this is un- this is impossible. It's like the most wild story I've ever. seen. It's insane. Like it's I'm loving it. It's even crazier than like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. 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 I'll try and we're trying to dig photos from the actual show, from the actual like talk that they gave. Um, We have to go to her because I don't know if I have a photo of her or not. It's it's really disturbing. I'm going to have to really think through where I take my kids in the future. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for making the time. This, these thank things, you. I don't know about you guys, things like this, um, giving people something to look forward to right now. It means a lot. So we really appreciate it. No, of course. Thank okay. you for having us. And I'm looking forward to coming on and talking more about future episodes. Yes. All right. Take care, All everyone. There. Stay healthy. You too. You too. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Terry, Chris, and Brooke for keeping us company on this episode. They are fantastic and we're so excited that they chose to spend their Sunday morning with us during quarantine. Make sure to join us back for the next episode for Demons. We will have Terry Metalis, Sean Shredda, Allison Down, and Todd Stashwick. So I imagine that one's going to be a bit wild. Until then, everybody stay safe and we'll see you soon.